0: Hello and welcome to the Cutting Room, the movie show from all the right movies. I'm John and reading the Ruby Rada with me today are Westy. Hello. And Matt. Hello. This episode is a relatively modern film. We're looking at the strangest of Swedish fairy tales in Ariasta's Midsummer. Before we do that though, just to let everybody know that All The Right Movies is a YouTube channel and what you're listening to now is the audio podcast version of the latest episode of our YouTube show called The Cutting Room. The original video version, along with many other episodes and videos, is available on YouTube so please head over to our channel to watch and subscribe. We actually started out as a podcast, and you can access our full archive of over 120 podcast episodes on our website, alltherightmovies.com, or by signing up to become an All The Right Movies Patron at patreon.com forward slash All The Right Movies. Patrons also gain access to loads of other benefits as well, including an exclusive video episode of The Cutting Room every month, chosen by and created specifically for our patrons. So, as you can see, there's loads from all the right movies to keep you busy, so please check out YouTube and Patreon. But for now, it's back to the film. I'll be calling it Midsummer, even though Ari Asta calls it something different. Midsommar is something of a companion to Hereditary. <laughs> Midsommar. <laughs> a bizarre, dour film which can mean only one thing. This was Westy's choice.
1: Yes, it was <laughs> absolutely <laughs> too right. So, <laughs> why did you put it up, Westy? Why did I put it up? It's just because it when it when it hit when it hit me when it came out, I just thought, wow, this is this is such a great great film. Do you know why? Because it was classic filmmaking. It, it's a horror film, but I find it quite cathartic and quite calming. A brilliant film to rewatch again and again because you find something else every time that you revisit it, and I think it's such a clever film. It's not something that's shouting from the rooftop saying, look what we've done. Ari Aster's just been just very, very calm, very cool. I think the performances are magnificent. I think the script's magnificent. I think the cinematography is incredible for a horror film. And yeah, it's just one of the films I thoroughly enjoyed. It's hard to admit that you really enjoy a film with these themes.
2: What happens in 72?
1: But I do <laughs> think it explores these themes so well. And just, you know, it's an exploration of grief. And also, community, which I really enjoyed, and I love the film. I think it's just brilliant and one of the best films I saw in 2019, and one of the best horror films I've seen in the last 10 years, easily. Oof, big
0: praise.
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, Swedish cults aren't usually the subject matter I'm looking for when I watch a film. But when this came out, big I fool you? <laughs> it did pique my interest when it came out. I mean, A twenty four have built up a reputation for lower budget, artistic horrors and dramas, and Ari Aster yeah. at the helm. A lighter territory the year before this, as did many people. Yes. And mm-hmm. it might be more contemporary, but we still do have loads of stuff to get into. So yes, yeah, this yeah. should be a good one, I think.
1: Yeah, it's a great one mm. to dive into. Yeah, yeah.
0: And Matt, what about yourself in Midsummer?
2: I hate it, John. I was a little bit, hate <laughs> why am I here? <laughs> Jesus Christ, to sit through this again, two and a half hours of it. No, um, I, I was though, I was a little ske- skeptical about it when I went to see it because I wasn't quite as sold on hereditary as a lot of people. But I came out of this thinking that's a filmmaker who I think has maybe looked at his previous film and learned lessons from it. Just two films in, I think Asta was clearly someone to watch. And this film, it was one of those where it got under my skin, and for days afterwards, I was still thinking about it. I was thinking about sequences. I was thinking about characters. I was thinking about, oh, yeah, maybe that actually meant that, now that I think about it. And I love it when a film can do that. It definitely rewards Sorry, repeat viewings. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's perfect. I still have a couple of little small issues with it here and there, but overall... Definitely the kind of horror film that you can dig into. I love how it's just not shocking and superficial. It's going to be a really good one to talk about, I think. I think it will. Okay then, let the festivities begin.
0: We're going in on Midsummer. When family tragedy strikes Danny Yardor, she, her boyfriend and his pals travel to Swedish rural town Håga for its Midsummer festival. What begins as an idyllic break quickly turns into a bloodbath as, one by one, the group fall prey to a violent pagan cult. That sounds fun. And so. it is, until it all goes a bit mental. <laughs> 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 Written and directed by Ari Aster, Midsummer was produced by A24 and stars in the lead roles Florence P as Danny and Jack Rayner as her boyfriend, Christian. I went with her boyfriend, not total waste of space there. But we'll get to that, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. That's <laughs> how he starts yeah, the yeah, film. The, it's it's yeah. the official
1: title at the start, yeah. yeah.
0: So on The Cutting Room, what we do is break movies down, discuss them piece by piece. So with Midsommar, we're going to be talking about the director, the writing, the cast, and our own highlights from the movie. We'll then each give the film a rating out of 10. hmm Mhm. Let's go then. Up first, the Midsommar director... Ariaster, a young and inexperienced director in 2019, but quite big things were expected of Ariasta. That was because his previous film *Territory* landed in 2018 to lots of acclaim. Yeah. there was a weight of expectation on Midsummer and Ariaster then. So, how did he do in directing the film? Do we think, Matt?
2: I think he does pretty brilliantly. Um, I think it's very, very controlled this film and there were definite points first time I watched this I wanted to laugh and not because I thought it was silly or actually funny it was a really nervous laughter because the film was making me feel like so uncomfortable with what mm-hmm. was going on and I just wasn't quite sure how to take it and it was in a way that I can't quite pin down like if someone said to me what, what's scary about Midsummer?", I'd be like Do you know what I don't know I just know that it is I just know <laughs> that it puts me on edge and it's something I think maybe even scary might not be the right word. It's it's a film where I watch and I'm just quietly worried yeah. all the way through. And I think that's all down to Aster and it's what he does because I've seen so many horror films where watching them I feel claustrophobic and that claustrophobia is scary. I think this might be the only horror film I can think of where it's the opposite and I feel agoraphobic and I feel scared of how wide mm-hmm. open this film is, which is really cleverly done. And I think that's because of how much he shoots this just in beautiful, glorious sunshine.
1: What time is it? <sighs> it's 9 p.m.
2: And he still manages to make it scary. And by the way, this actually wasn't shot in Sweden, it was actually shot in Budapest, right. which mm-hmm. I had no idea about, it's so yeah, convincing. Wow. But if you think of those like outdoor feasts, that they have the one at the beginning where they just all sat at like a strange angle to each mm-hmm. other, and everybody is just dead silent and you just sat there waiting for like something for someone to start eating, for someone to start drinking, someone to m- make a speech and he just draws that scene out perfectly. And it's the same when Danny gets crowned May Queen at the end and it should be this like beautiful feast that they're having, but obviously at this her and Christian they're both under in the, the influence so the meat looks like it's like pulsating and it's like you're watching it through a heat wave and all the flowers and the thorn is are starting to writhe around and like almost become part of her. And it's just this moment, like I say, it should be celebratory and it should be beautiful, but it's anything but. I just think that's so clever of Aster that he never resorts to like a cheap scare at like night, apart from maybe when Josh gets killed. But apart from that, overall, I think maybe it's a little long, the film at 150 minutes, and you can maybe lose lose a bit here and there. But other than that, I think it's truly great horror direction because it's not in your face. It's not Trump scares. I don't quite understand what he's doing or how he's doing it. I just know it freaks me out. Nice. Yeah, I think it's good and pretty refreshing to see a director just getting to make the film he wants to make.
0: Because mm-hmm. it seems that pretty much everything in *Summer* mm-hmm. is how Asta envisioned it. It's very deliberately paced. It's very visual. I see influences from Stanley Kubrick with lots of Kubrick-style yeah. imagery, slow zooms, one-point perspective yeah. shots. The carpet from The Shining even shows up. Mm. Yes. The Batman, yeah. the classic Pagan yes, folk horror, is a clear yep. influence, I think. And I know that Asta has cited Black Narcissus as an inspiration. Yeah, I mean, the Powell yeah. and Pressburger film, 1940s Technicolor, can't be swaying too many modern horror directors, but Midsommar is probably the brightest looking horror <laughs> film I've ever seen, so that does make sense. Yeah, One of my favourite things about how Asta directs Midsommar, though, are the visual details that he drops in throughout. Start starts with the very first shot of the film. The first thing we see is a mural illustration. It only really stays on screen for about yeah. 20 seconds or so, it's the It basically film. tells the story of <laughs> yeah. the whole film, yeah. yeah it's it shows the death of Daddy's yeah. family, then the grief in the morning she goes through, mm. the trip away with friends that she takes, the community cult that she comes across, and the final ritual to make her the May Queen. And there's an ominous-looking drawing of a
1: bear on there as well, Yeah. which is worrying. Yeah, Capel <laughs> yeah. as well, kind of leading them astray as the high piper. It's great.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the visual motifs as well. Danny's sister, she kills herself at the start and we get that awful shot of her wearing that makeshift mask she's fashioned for herself. Yeah. As uses use that shot throughout the film. Danny sees it in the mirror and there's a shot where we see her sister's face superimposed over the trees in Hogar as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a fan of Ariasta. Very good visual storyteller. I think one of the most exciting young filmmakers out there. And Midsummer, it's my favourite of his as well. Wow, nice. Just uh, stay away from the pies.
2: Is that a fucking pub? <laughs> <laughs> pubic
1: pies <laughs> just
2: yeah a pubic hair
0: and Wesley Ariesta's work here is director for you
1: yeah Ariesta's work here is so it's just so uh, camera movements are, are so elegant the, the shot choices are so elegant the way that he just he, he sets up a frame and there's just layers and there's depth and there's stories upon stories going on and depth upon depth and I think Paul Gazelski, who was the, the cinematographer on this and was also the cinematographer on Hereditary, does an incredible job of just hmm. the, you know... The way that this is framed, the way that this looks, the use of shapes, the use of triangles, the use of color, the use of introduction mm-hmm. to people as if it's a theater, they walk through that sun every time the camera moves, it just feels like cotton wool, it just feels like it 's so smooth and so considered, very Tarkovsky mm-hmm. in some in yeah. some of the elements mm-hmm. of it. I want it to go from there to there, and I want to show everything in that move, and he does, and I think honestly. This is going to go down as one of the best horror films ever made, and it's going to sit up there with The Shining. It's going to sit up there with Halloween. It is going to sit up there. with yeah, people realise in Ari Aster, I think he's a really great visionary, a really great director. Everyone says, oh, this is too long, two and a half hours. The director's cut's three hours. That's still not long enough for me. Fantastic stuff.
0: <laughs> I think the original cut was four and a half hours.
1: The original cut was almost four hours. Uh... <laughs> And it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. I'll have that, no problem.
2: <laughs> Westy's right. It's just full of details. It's the language yeah. that the Haga have in symbols and runes, which is called Elder Futhark and Younger Futhark. And as part of that, each character has their own symbol. And you can see that on the costume. So Danny, on her fox, she's got an R. And if you look at the rope that Christian wears, he's got an arrow that's pointing up. And then we're going to talk about this scene later when the elders trip off the cliff, but if you watch that scene again, when they rub the yeah. bloody hands on the room stone, mm. they go for two symbols, and it's the R yeah. and the arrow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's so much detail in there. The way the Hogar breathes as well.
2: <laughs> <gasps> yeah, it's
0: really yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's loads of moments where you're watching a scene play out, and in the background there's something just really weird going on. There's mm. so much detail in there.
1: And just before Jack, urinates on the on the tree there's so much happening in the background watch it again people leading all of the different animals away to the slaughter a goat getting smashed like a straw goat getting smashed and they bury the head in the background and it's just fantastic
0: so ariasa's director we seem to agree he did an excellent job on midsummer
1: yeah fantastic job. yes it just definitely. seemed he'd made it look so easy when it's so hard to do this it's mm. so hard
0: Ariasa didn't stop at directing Midsummer, he wrote the screenplay as well. His second writer director credit after Hereditary, that we talked about, so he was a bit of an old hand by this point. But how good is the writing on Midsummer, Westy?
1: I've read the screenplay, believe it or not, and I know you believe it. But it's, um, I do believe it. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> and every detail that you see on screen is there, and I think the writing is right there on the screen. It takes you through. Every character is relatable. Every single trait that they have as a character is explored and then punished. It's, it's great. And just how clever it is that you've got the four deaths, and I've read a great theory that it's mm. earth, air, fire, and water. And you know you've you've got Josh and he's got his his legs sticking up out the soil, so they bury him, so he represents earth. Mm. And then you've got the air element, which is Simon, who's been flailed, which is like still breathing, so he represents Mm. lungs, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got um, water, which is Connie, and she's obviously been drowned, but you hear her shout Mm. three different times, and it's exactly the same. Then you've got Mark, who obviously represents fire. He's just stuffed like the scarecrow and then set on fire. So it's, you've got all of these elements where you can read so much into this film. I just think <laughs> the writing on this, the direction on this, everything about it, I just love it. And I just keep coming back to it, and I just find it an absolute joy. Even this subject matter, I just find a real, real joy. And the writing is just above and beyond what he should be doing at the age he is, to be honest. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, I think the writing impresses in a few ways. The characters are all well drawn out and the dynamics between all the characters feel very real and really well observed. Yeah. It explores some interesting themes, grief, trauma, rebirth. I think the most interesting part of the writing though is the way Danny is written as the protagonist, specifically her character arc. Mm. I mean, typically protagonists drive the narrative.
2: That's my family, K, it's not me.
0: The decisions they make affect the plot, which in turn affects them, and that goes on making the character change bit by bit. Here, though, Danny makes one decision in the entire film, and it comes in the final few minutes. The rest of the time, she's very passive. The reason she's so passive is Christian. Mm. She's worried he's going to break up with her, so she doesn't challenge him at all, which he takes advantage of, and they send filters across her whole life. And then when the cult starts to take hold on the group, the other characters distance themselves, unintentionally, really, but they distance themselves by studying them. But because Danny's so passive, she's taken in by all Mm -hmm. of it. She cooks with the hogar, she takes part in the rituals, Mm -hmm. ultimately she becomes the May Queen. And it's then that she makes the only decision to sacrifice Christian. So Christian's behaviour made her passive, and it's her passivity which leads directly to her character change and Christian's death. It's really unique writing. It's about a breakup, basically, but I've never seen a breakup film like this before. I find it really, really interesting. I would say that I'm not entirely sure I buy the group sticking around when things start to go to hell and the friends start disappearing one by one
1: Where is your friend, Josh? I know, uh, we have no idea
0: most of the writing I'm a big fan of, especially Danny Arcan.
1: Yeah. Very yeah. good. It's it's that other story, that mm. other subplot that's there, is like, how much has Pell had to do with this? Is yeah. she actually being groomed into this this Mayor Queen? And that's why they're welcome at yeah. in. I think it's a fantastic, fantastic subplot within the film. Yeah. Pelly is despicable. Do you think? I like, think he's fucking great. Yeah. It's, he's it's brilliant. It's great footballer though, Pelly, wasn't he? <laughs>
2: And Matt, how good is the writing for you? Yeah, I think it's excellent, particularly for a horror film. So many horror films, you just don't get this kind of depth to it. And I think there's just so many layers to unpeel. What stands out for me, and you've kind of started to touch on it, John, it's that relationship between Danny and Mm. Christian, because that, for me, is what powers this entire film. And it's quite subliminal, I think, because everything else is kind of structured around that relationship, because at first glance, I think you think, okay, this is a relationship where they're in trouble, they're trying to make it work through Danny's grief and Danny has issues. But actually, the more you watch it, the more you think, actually, you know what, this is really toxic. Mm. And Chrissy, it mm. is horrendous, but it's really cleverly done. It's not obvious, so, you know, he's not violent, he's not abusive, but there's so many scenes where he realise actually he's trying to make Danny feel guilty for having emotions and for having these issues in the hope that she will push him away and end it for him because he doesn't have the... The goods to do it himself, basically. So the fact he doesn't even mention the, the Sweden trip to her until someone yeah. else mentioned it right to her face.
1: I mean, we were talking about it. We were thinking about it.
2: The, the crappy little slice of birthday cake <laughs> he has for her, which he thinks is yeah. going to be enough to celebrate her birthday, considering everything she's been through. But the one that really stands out for me is that scene at the beginning when she's coming round to his apartment and he chooses literally the second before she steps through the door to tell the rest of the guys, oh, by the way, she's going to Sweden with us.
1: Um, I invited Danny to come to Sweden. So you guys know.
2: It's absolutely horrendous the way he treats her. And then that's why you realise why that very last image of the film is so good, that massive <laughs> grin she's got as he's burning to death, because at first you think, Jesus, that's harsh, but then the more you, you watch, you think, actually, you know what, that's not <laughs> yeah. harsh at all.
1: It's that <laughs> wonderful moment that you mentioned there with yeah. the birthday cake, the women, and they have got a newborn, and they're out of focus, just basically with a newborn baby, and it's like their birthday, yeah. and he can't light the candle, yeah. he can't get the spark back, he can't, like, ignite who they are anymore, and yeah, it's a brilliant right. visual metaphor, that, stuff like that, it's just
2: fantastic
0: yeah yeah ariasta was going through a breakup at the time which is why he wrote a breakup movie i wanted to make a film that you know that felt uh like as big as a breakup feels i know that before writing the screenplay as well ariasta spent months researching scandinavian folklore and he used a lot of that research in the film do you want to know some of the main things that he used from real
1: life folklore let's be good yeah
0: definitely so midsummer is a real annual event in Sweden, a national holiday there.
1: Embrace
0: our pagan roots. It's midsummer. It's very different to what we see in the film, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hope it is anyway. (laughs) Picking flowers while walking backwards is a real custom though, as is dancing around a maypole and we see both those things in the film. (laughs) The number nine is a recurring theme in the film. Pelley explains to Danny about how yeah. the life cycle of Hauga people is based on the four seasons. The age each season ends at is a multiple of nine, and the festival is celebrated every 90 yeah. years. Yeah. That's because nine has been a significant number in myths around Odin, the Norse god, who apparently was upside down for nine days so the world would gain
2: knowledge, and that's where he took the number nine from. That's barely even scratching the surface mm. of the number nine in this. Apparently Danny takes or gets given drugs nine times in the film. Yeah. Goes on with the nine sacrifices, nine sacrifices. the Midsummer's nine letters, yeah. the number of messages on the parents' answer machine is nine. Yeah. So it's loads again, get into. And do you know why the place of God was called Hoga? Though it's the name of a real yeah. Swedish town, which has to use it because there's a folk song called Laden, where the devil disguises himself as a fiddler and he leads all the teenagers from the village up to the mountain where he dances. <laughs> <the world laughs> <of them before. laughs>
0: Yes Are writing then? Well researched, strange, unique, and ultimately mm-hmm. very good, we think. Oh, it's brilliant. There isn't a huge cast in Midsummer, and probably only a handful of characters who even have speaking roles. As such, it's the main two we're going to look at in Florence Pugh as Danny Mm. and Jack Rayner as
2: Christian. So, Matt,
0: which one are you going to talk about?
2: Well, I'm going to go with Pugh because I think, in general, it's just just always, always excellent. First thing I saw in was a film called Lady Macbeth, Mm. brilliant in that, Think she's just wonderful, and this is no different. And the thing is, I think a lot of people can get snobby about performances in horror films and dismiss them, but... You can take so many of Danny's scenes out of context and you would think you were watching like an Oscar winning performance in a drama because so much this performance is about grief and it's about trauma and mental health and it's a really tough performance to watch in some ways but she's so compelling you can't take your eyes off her like that opening scene when she's on the phone to Christian because she's so worried about her sister and she's trying to keep it together in this phone conversation, but you can see she's falling apart inside. It's outstanding stuff, but then the way that that then gets wrapped up when she phones him back, when she realises what's happened, and that howl. Hey. That's just one of the most devastating things I've ever heard in a film, like where she summoned that up from. I don't know, but it's really beautiful devastating. That bit. The
1: beautiful thing about that as well is how it, it's in the soundtrack. It's the same key. Yeah. Right, is it? If you listen right. to the strings and stuff underneath it, it's in wow. the same. It just sits in the soundtrack and flows yeah. with it. It's just incredible.
2: Yeah it is it's amazing And thing is she keeps that intensity throughout and that's a tough sell for a character especially for two and a half hours but yeah. she always keeps Danny human and relatable and sympathetic all the guys he travels with you can tell they're all sick of her you know even Christian yeah. doesn't really want her there. but we never are as an audience and I think that's because of what Pew brings to the world yeah, yeah. I'm a massive fan anyway but this really excellent top yeah. drop I mean,
1: performance the, the way it's written that could so easily be an annoying performance if you really don't good. buy into her performance yeah. you are fucked this film the whole film's fucked yeah basically yeah. i think she's just incredible in this absolutely incredible yeah.
0: and Westy, who are you going to talk about in the cast <laughs>
1: i've been given the i've been given the joker of the pack haven't i <laughs> so now i'm gonna go for jack rayner as christian and do you know what when you when you see him I don't think he looks like that kind of guy and I do think he Mm. is a tortured soul and that Mm. if you have this much weight on your shoulders that your partner's going through this much grief how on earth are you supposed to deal with that how on earth are you supposed to help them through that it's a really big ask for the Mm. age that they're supposed to be he just tries best but he's just at at the end of the day he's just not good enough for her I don't think he's a bad person. I just think he doesn't know how to deal with emotion and he doesn't know how to deal with Danny. But it is Jack Renner's performance in this. He had some suggestions. You know what? He, he comes away from that sex scene and he's supposed to leave in the same robe that he came in at. And he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out naked right. and vulnerable. Yeah. Because right. there's so many female characters in horror films who've been like Last House on the Left. He watched and saw that how yeah. vulnerable and and naked all the female characters were and stripped back. You say like, it's about time that a male character was treated like that. He, he nails it. It's great. Yeah, I cannot stand Christian. I think he's well written.
2: <laughs> there it is. <laughs> no, <I can't.
1: laughs> I've really tried <laughs> there didn't I? Say it, yeah, like really I knew I to take on the character. John comes I steaming in. I can't it. stand yeah. that piece of shit
0: No, <laughs> I do think he's well written, and Jack Rayner portrays him well. I don't like him at all, though. He's not evil. Yeah. or twirling his mustache.
2: <laughs> he's
0: just a selfish <laughs> asshole. The scene where Danny confronts him about yeah. booking a holiday without telling her, and she ends up apologising to him because he yeah. throws his toys out the pram. I'm not trying to
1: attack
0: you. It I'm not. really feels like you are. Well
1: then, I, well then, I'm sorry. He's just immature. Yeah. He's just immature he's just a baby man. He's just a kid. And that's He's the, whole the same point? age as
0: the rest of them and he's a total arsehole. <laughs> 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 <That's> the... <laughs> John is not budging on this. He's not that's so, it. I agree with you. <laughs> good writing, good acting, but not a good guy. Good writing, yeah. <laughs> Good riddance,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: There is a wider <laughs> cast in Midsommar, like we mentioned. William Jackson Harper as Josh, Will Porter as Mark, and Wilhelm Blomgren as yes. Pellet are all memorable. Our two leads, though, yes. Jack Raynor yeah. and I think especially Florence Pugh, very good lead performances. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely integral. The
0: There's quite a few memorable moments in Midsummer, emotional, shock, horror, jump scares, really weird. It's all in there. And it's some of those moments we're looking at now to talk about our <laughs> highlights from the film. Matt, yep. we know what your highlight is, don't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know, <laughs> just like X, my favourite scene of X. I'll <laughs> no, go on then, Matt. Your highlight from Midsummer.
2: <laughs> I'm going to go for the rival at Hawker because that is so good. It's so dreamlike, yeah. the way it starts mm. with Danny waking up. Completely unaware what day it is. Have I slept through the night? How many like hours of night are there? Is this not just daytime still?
0: Is it tomorrow?
1: I mean... yesterday's perspective
2: and also this is the scene for me that's very kubricky and this is very shining but in like the opposite way to the intro there and instead of in the shining where you've got that really ominous music you've got this really like almost like a lullaby getting played on that flute and that music i always like think it's going to be like sigurus or the polyphonic spree in the village it's got (laughs) that kind of vibe to it and it's it just sums up that that contrast because it's beautiful countryside it's really bucolic but at the same time as soon as they get there there's something that is just ever so slightly off about it all, the fact that all the villagers are just waiting for them, like waiting for them to make their entrance. And that's when you realise that the music isn't the soundtrack, it's actually being played by the villagers for their arrival. It, it And it was one of those months where I kind of mm-hmm. almost wanted to laugh just because it's so strange. And even the barns in the background, they've got like really sharp acute angles for the roofs. Yeah. And even that looks wrong. So everything about this is just throwing you off slightly. It's like that just doesn't look quite like how it should and it's starting to freak me out a bit. And it's so well done. It has this, even like a Wizard of Oz type of quality too, where instead of the, the yellow brick road, you've got yeah. the, the path of the yellow flowers that the rock along. So there's something just really subliminal about the scene, that love where you know it's not quite right. But now you're there and it's only going to get better or worse, depending on, the, on your perspective from now on.
0: Yeah, I think something else I mentioned here as well is yeah. around the village and the horger is the design work. The costume design and the production design are both mm. fantastic and give the world loads of credibility, I there think. The village feels like a real place to me, just top-notch design work all around.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the costume designer was called Andrea Flesh and she was basically had a, had a pretty hard time because the costumes were based on nothing. Now, I find that really, really difficult to believe because <laughs> they look so authentic and that they're from something where it, the, the, Asta has so many nods to so many things in this film that are based on fact that all of a sudden these costumes are just brand new. The are great. Yeah. I, I love what you're wearing. My frock. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, quite girly. A nice detail than the clothing actually is how Danny's clothes reflect her arc. She wears baggy, ill fitting clothes most of the film mm-hmm. and the first time she wears something that actually fits mm-hmm. is the yeah. first time she wears a dress made by the Horger. She's like a visual way of showing that she fits in with the Hogger uh-huh. yeah, better than with yeah.
1: Christian. And then the whole, as it goes, start, the colour starts to change, goes from blue to red as people start dying. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot more of a red in the palette, which yeah. kind of, it's brilliant. Just like, just, it's so subliminal and yeah. so creepy. Mm. You just think, why yeah. is this scary? Yeah. Just, yeah. It's just so good. And Wesley, what's your highlight from the film? My highlight from the film is when it all starts going tits up. <laughs> <laughs> no! And it's just a really, really <laughs> shocking moment, do you not think that she looks really, really like Danny though what's the reason behind that? But they look so similar, and I think there's a there's a fan theory where she wasn't of the age, but she kills herself just to make room for Danny coming in as the new May queen, which I love that as well. I think that's right. fantastic, and she dies immediately, but the guy doesn't, he suffers God, awful, <laughs> so she was meant to go first when that happens. It's the reactions, it's the reactions of the cast or every Mm. single member. You don't even need to see it, but you do see it. And I think Asta does that really well. And he does it in broad daylight. And you see the falls, bang, bang. And then when they walk over with mallet and it's just um, that, that audio. It's the sound it it. makes, it's, it's the sound. Yeah. And above everything else. And you just see everything and he's just, it's unabashed. And it's just when that body's getting burned and you see the face caved in and it's like, well. Mm-hmm. yeah this is this is midsummer welcome to it you're in for the ride now and you're like jesus christ what's this like an hour into the film yeah it's like i've got another hour and a half yeah. of this what on earth's gonna happen i love the way that Aster pulls you in with something that's so repellent that it should push you out and it definitely doesn't
0: yeah so this is what happens to the hogar when they reach the end of the winter part of their life i mean i've no idea why we'd watch this happen and not get the hell out of dodge immediately hey! but fine <laughs> <laughs> but we talked before about how parts of the festival are taken That's from real life. And this cliff jumping ceremony is too. There was a practice in Norse mythology called stupa where in certain cultures the elderly were expected to sacrifice themselves for the good of the village and they were often killed by being hurled from cliffs. And it's based on
2: that, basically. Yeah, there's another bit of research, though, which I love, which is uh, to do with the death of Simon. And he's the guy that Christian finds in the barn. He's hanging from the ceiling, gaspows in his eyes, his lungs are being pulled out through his back. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> the yeah. one scene never forgotten. Th- that's something else from Old Norse mythology called the Blood Eagle, where, as you see with Simon, yeah. they get laid on the front, ribs get separated from the spine, and then the lungs are pulled through to create a pair of wings.
0: Savage these old Norse poets, Vikings, weren't
1: they? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, and, I
0: know, right? I know that in the original script as well, Simon was hung by his Achilles and had horseshoes nailed to his feet. And Christine found Josh in the barn as well, Jesus. with his guts hanging out. But I mean, either way, though, seeing Simon strung up is some nice respite after watching Christine run around naked for the last five minutes. Come on, have like two
1: well, okay, relax. Definitely don't need that. And, <laughs> really? It's the fact that he's still breathing. It's so so. Oh yeah. It, oh, yeah. What a way to go! Way to go, man!
0: <laughs> Bloody
1: ego. Yeah. Jesus!
0: Well, for my highlight, I'm going for the climax not that climax the climax of the film <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's the final ritual okay. and sacrifices required danny finally makes a decision christian gets trussed up in a bear's corpse and burned alive i mean i'm using the word highlight pretty loosely yeah because it stayed with me for about a year <laughs> after yeah. i saw it i know yeah, ariassa said easier, that he doesn't yeah. see midsummer as terrifying he sees it as disturbing and disturbing i think is the perfect word mm. it's disturbing when one of the hoger is pushing connie's corpse in a wheelbarrow it's disturbing when one of them comes in with mark's yeah. corpse stuffed with straw and it's light as a feather it's disturbing when the two hogar ingmar and ulf He's, they're yeah. called are told they won't feel pain or fear and they quickly find out that's far from true it's most disturbing of yeah. all though watching christian paralyzing the wheelchair paralyzed lying on the table paralyzing that bear suit The only thing that he can move is his eyes, and they're all over the place. He's like Michael Corleone in that restaurant scene in The Godfather. And to be honest, (laughs) I'm just glad that it all happens to someone who I don't like much, because if I thought Christian was a great guy, this would be traumatising, and I wouldn't be able to watch it. But it is a great ending, massively, massively memorable, and one of the most talked-about film endings of recent years, I think, without doubt.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I think so. One thing I love about that ending though is how it's been foreshadowed in um all the New York scenes at the beginning of the film. So, one is when Danny's parents are in bed just before they, they succumb to the fumes. There's a photo of Danny on like a bedside table, and there's a bunch of flowers above her. So, that looks like the crown she's going to wear at the end of the film as the May Queen. And then in another apartment, there's a photo of the scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. And yes. obviously, quite a few characters end up stuffing the yeah. straw at the end of the film. And then there's that massive painting, which is by a Swedish guy called John Bauer. It's called Poor Little Bear, mm-hmm. which shows a girl in a crown with a bear. And that's obviously Danny and Christian at the end of the film. So, loads of great foreshadowing. Yeah, Poor Little Bear is right. Jeez.
0: <laughs> also, get- in Holger, when Christian's waiting to talk to Ziv, <laughs> one of the leaders, there's a picture of a bear on fire on the wall, if you notice that.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: earlier we yeah. see the Hogar playing a game called Skin the Fool. And then when Mark is killed, the way his face and his corpse is wearing a mm-hmm. as hat. So they did skin the fool. And that guy's
1: naked as well. <laughs> and the guy, apparently, according is, yeah. to Ariaster, yep. who killed him was Pelle who, who hit him with the hammer.
0: Yeah, I think if you watch it frame by frame, and that was there's a frame the where you can see, see that. Pele sitting in the corner, yeah, he's apparently. He's hiding.
1: Yeah. And have you noticed um, when the when she's crowned the May Queen, did, did you notice our parents coming through and our sister in the crowd? I somebody, yeah, they mum yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, a mom comes yeah. through and looks at her, which again is a wonderful moment. Yeah. Not hit home, but just there if you really look for it.
2: Yeah.
0: So a benefit of being in All The Right Movies Patreon is that we'll answer your questions on the show. And one of our patrons has a question on how the film ends, specifically regarding Danny. Mm the question comes from andy freeman so here's andy
2: hello all the right movies greetings from the states this is such an interesting film and i often think about the scene late in the movie where danny is sobbing and then the women come around her and match the rhythm of her sobs it's a moment of real beauty and physical empathy in the middle of some serious darkness and it goes a long way towards explaining why Danny makes the choices she makes at the end of the film. My question is: Is Danny finding true community here, or is she being brainwashed? Thanks. Thanks,
0: Andy. So it's this moment that Andy's talking about.
1: What do you think, Westy? It's a, it's a tough question because like, is being accepted into a society is that not a form of brainwashing? It's just what you want to believe anyway. And what these people do is the mirror, everything, there's mirrors all the way through the film. Yep. Through. There's a mirror when she's talking to Christian at the start. Even the table is mirrored. And for me, I don't think it's brainwashing. I think it's just what you want to choose to accept to be your reality. And whichever society that is, that's where you live. And I'm glad that Danny has found this one because I think this is perfect for her. It's exactly what she needs.
0: Wesley, well, I think you want to be part of the hog, I don't want you? I fucking
1: do like. <laughs> <laughs> Sex with old ladies and dead at 72. Fucking bliss. <laughs>
0: and, Matt, and Matt, how's this scene play out for you? Ah,
2: <laughs> oh, man, that's such a good mm, question. And this is why I me it's a great film, because, yeah, which one is it? I mean... There's no doubt as soon as they get to Hoga, every single one of them is being spiked, basically, systematically. They're straight on the magic Mm -hmm. mushrooms. But then to turn around and say, Danny's been praying, Rosh, that to me says it's completely against her will. And I honestly don't think it is. Because I think she's in a very receptive position in her life. And all of a sudden she's given this glimpse of a life outside of Christian, outside of grief, outside of all the shit she's having to deal with. And yes, it's a very different take on morality that the Hoga have. And I think they are still manipulating her to some extent. But they can't offer something no one else can offer, which is peace. You know, peace of mind, a bit of togetherness. So I definitely wouldn't say she's been brainwashed. I think she has been guided to a particular point of view. You could argue she's gone from one manipulative relationship to another one. But ultimately, I do think deep down, she's happy to be there. Yeah, I agree. And there you have it. That is Midsummer,
0: and we seem to have made it out. Before we leave, though, we're going to give our scores out of 10 for the movie okay Wesley, you first please your summary
1: and score for midsummer right i mean okay i'll be i'll 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 be snappy with it um i love this film i just get so much from it every time that i rewatch it and i just love the way it's shot i love the framing i love the direction i love the acting and I feel like, you know, if Kubra could have seen this, I think he would have stood up and applauded and just being like, you know what, that's symmetry, that's mirroring. I'm not going to give it full marks. And the reason I'm not going to give it full marks is because I think that this has still got time to be discovered for what it truly, really is. There's a director's cut available. There's a theatrical cut available. Both of them are incredible. So for that reason, it's a nine because I can't wait to see what anyone else gets to push it to the 10 <laughs>
0: Well, I'm always interested in seeing new A24 films, always interested in knowing what R.E.S. is up to, and one of the main reasons for that is Midsummer. It's a thing of beauty, start to finish. The cast are very good, the standout is Florence Pugh, who I think is brilliant, the writing here I think is unique and very good as well. And as a film, it's engaging, it's interesting, and it has one of the most outrageous endings in recent years not perfect i mentioned a nitpick or two with the writing and it's not one of my favorite films or one i'll be revisiting once a year or anything for that ending once every 90 years will do me i think every do enjoy <laughs> <laughs> and i do understand why it's so highly thought of by a lot of people i think it's destined to become a cult classic yeah. and for me it gets an eight out of ten okay and matt your
2: summary and score for midsummer mm. I've really enjoyed going through this one because it is exactly the kind of film that prompts discussions and rewatches. If people are watching this, they've never picked up on the kind of things we've gone through. They're going to get so much more out of it. I do think it's a little bit overlong and as original as it is, ultimately, even on first viewing, you can kind of see where it's going. But it is a film that I think is really pretty great all the same. So I'm giving it a nine. Good lad. Great. So overall,
0: that leaves Midsummer with an impressive 26 out of 30. Good. And that's all we have this time around. If you like what we do on The Cutting Room, you can access bonus episodes by supporting us on Patreon. You can also get access to over 200 hours worth of all the right movies, podcasts, and lots more. Your help and support is hugely appreciated. And the more support we get, the more videos we will make. Absolutely. So we're going to say goodbye for now, and thanks for watching, everyone.
1: That was good. Have you got
2: got your stuff, Matt? I have, mate. Already for the face. Yeah. Correct drink.
1: Yeah, that's the wrong colour, but I mean, you know, it, everything's gonna be fine. Mm. I'm sure. You got the other stuff. The other I have
2: yeah. Just what uh, Christian had, as you can see. All
1: ready to go. That's that's a that's a fucking quiche. Why can't we get anything right when we ever try and do this shit? At least John's got the fucking bay outfit sorted. Hmm. Ah, uh, for for